A new collection of climate change poetry from around the Pacific could have turned into an overwhelming picture of doom and gloom. But the four Kiwi editors of No Other Place to Stand have tried to come up with a balance of the angry and the philosophical, the sad and the satirical. One of those editors is Canterbury poet Rebecca Hawkes. In 2020, we just spent this really surreal summer in New Zealand, you know, watching the skies turn red, blue, bruised purple with the bushfire smoke from Australia um, as it made its way across the ocean. To us, there were all these really, you know, tragic stories that summer of of evacuations and and massive fires and at the same time incredible flooding in in Europe and of course now from where we're talking we're seeing this reversed right we were in this position of um, seeing what was going on in the world and knowing that a lot of our peers in the writing community were you know making work that responded to things that were happening and we thought it would just be good knowing the times that we're in like climate change is not a hypothetical it's something that is happening around us that is affecting people everywhere and, and um, places in all these very different ways um, what are people doing to respond to this so we made this kind of one pager asking for you know established writers but also people who hadn't written before who might be moved to poetry in some way by climate crisis we uh, were interested in work that was full of you know rage and fury how could this be allowed to happen how could people still be profiting off of this escalating situation we also wanted work that was hopeful um, because we had been seeing work that was hopeful about how do we face this challenge as we have with the pandemic together to build you know an, an equitable future of climate justice um we all of all four of us editors are quite interested in um poetry with a kind of dark sense of humor and there is a lot of really funny poetry in the book we were you know we were calling for comedy as well as for you know intense political polemic so we were just sort of open to taking a snapshot of what was going on in poetry at this time in this place we wanted not to guide what we thought other people should be doing in response to climate change and their work. But the purpose of this book is really more about it being a snapshot. How have people been responding through this one particular art form to the things that they're seeing in the world? And that's part of why our brief was so broad. And we did, we wanted the book ultimately to be representative you know demographically we thought it was incredibly important that we had a lot of strong Maori voices and indigenous voices from the Pacific and from Australia as well who are all you know we're all connected um, across the Moana Oceania we knew there were some things that we would want to see representation wise but we were open to everyone um, in the submissions that we received in the first instance. And there were hundreds, right? You got hundreds of yeah. submissions. You've chosen the work of 91 writers. And I note that, you know, a good number of them are under 30. And I guess what I was expecting for those under 30 might be more of the, hey, you guys, you've messed this up. Get the hell out of our way and we'll put things right. And maybe from the older writers, a sense of responsibility and guilt. Was there any of that that you sensed? Not overwhelmingly, like one of the things that we've seen in this book is the kind of incredible variety of ways that people responded. And I think young people are not 
just in the writers that we've got here focused on blame, but also in the way that, you know, we are, we have grown up in this world, um, participating also in, in these systems that uh, have been handed to us, these ways of life that are very reliant on certain kinds of energy sources and fuels, certain kinds of transport and certain technologies and so on. So uh, there isn't a lot of sort of, you know, the younger writers in the book shaking their fists at the older generations and the older generations uh, apologizing. And um, there is, I think, a really heartening sense of how we're all in this together. Um, and through the book, you know, the poets um, creating these poems as dis discreet thoughts about lots of really different elements. It's much less interested in sort of mudslinging than it is in, in thinking about how we as individuals might be processing this and also how we might be reaching out and connecting to others through this, which is part of, I think, the, the beautiful thing about the book as well, is that it provides a place for connection. Some story, I mean, this is the temptation always with poets and poetry, but I was just reading back Frankie Macmillan's work, The Uprising of My Aunt, and it's a, it's a beautiful, I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't read it, but it's a beautiful sad little story, one person's story, which speaks volumes. You know, when you get to the end of the work, you understand what's being said, you know, in these individual tragedies. And there's there's a lot of this reflection and sadness at what has been lost. At the same time, there is also hope and determination to save as much as possible for the future. Yes, absolutely. And there's also um, a wonderful poem by Bernadette Hall in here, which has a lot of these poems are characterized by kind of questions of of care and Bernadette Hall has this poem about a flood and then it just ends with someone like looking for the little dog and, and wondering whether it can swim um you know this sort of devastating um small moment through that poem and the poets you know are often you know individually quite uh, reflective as as people um but then there's also a, a reaching out to a kind of wider uh, collective, you know, of, of individual experiences through these poems. You mentioned before that some, they really are laugh out loud. There's quite a lot of satire. And in some ways, our situation is so extreme, it lends itself to that. I mean, whether it's a reference to oat milk or NZTA. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And um, yeah, sort of no one gets out, you know, without a sort of barbed joke. Ultimately, um, you have uh, Tusiata Avia's really brilliant poem about uh, family colonising Jacinda Ardern's house. <laughs> Jacinda Ardern goes to the Pacific Forum in Tuvalu and my family colonises her house. It's a nice two-storey house in South Auckland with a village in the backyard. I'm guessing that village doesn't actually belong to Jacinda and her family, but they have full use of it. We've been upstairs in Jacinda's house and we've made a bit of a mess, really. It's all the kids. Who can stop them from dancing and dropping food on the floor, which gets ground into the carpets? I know Jacinda who was the Prime Minister, we're all on first name basis in this country, which is similar to Tuvalu, where their Prime Minister is sitting on the roof of his house. I know Jacinda is weary. It's hot over there in Tuvalu and tiring because the sea is taking over. So now the only place to play cricket 
is the airport runway. At the same time as we have this excoriating Victor Billet poem about uh, Scott Morrison, which is a sort of point of view satire. Um, so across the political spectrum, um, there is a, a really real call for accountability uh, in these poems, but also I think some of the most effective ones are in this really, really funny mode. And also there's something really interesting happening um, among some of the younger writers too, with this mode of kind of disaffection. I'm thinking particularly of this poem by Ursula Robin Shaw called Everything is Nice about the last day of the world. They have released the last day. The last day has dropped and the properties of the real world collapse like a thumb puppet. Like these kind of um, very, very interesting comic poems um, because the poets aren't just sitting on the sidelines uh, weeping and wringing our hands and tearing our hair out. Um, we're going about our lives as best we can amidst all this, right? And it's, yeah, really coming through strongly in these poems. I think we felt ultimately really hopeful just because of the, the depth of engagement that we saw from people who have been sitting down and doing this quite solitary work of poetry to think so carefully about different aspects of climate change. It's not all extreme weather events and, and suffering. Some of it is also, you know, just thinking about um, the future of, of Wales. Some of it is imagining utopias. And we were very interested in work that, particularly in the last kind of section of the book, does move towards more of this, um, this future thought about how do we live together? How do people live well in this world and care for this world? You know, you can get quite down, um, there are a lot of really sad poems in here, um, particularly about, you know, the threats to land and the fears that people hold, but it, also the fact that people are so deeply engaged with approaching these issues through poetry, I think also has an implication, right, for how people might be moving in the rest of their lives as well. It's hopefully it doesn't just stay on the page. What are your hopes then for this collection? I think you reflected the start saying, well, probably climate change deniers are not going to pick this up and, and read it. But for those who, don't, who do pick it up and read it, what do you hope are the kinds of maybe conversations or shifts that might come from it? There are a few things that I think this book does um, that people can really benefit from um, for conversations. I think one of its core values is, is less so about convincing people whether climate change exists or not, which as you've said is, so if someone disagrees with the kind of problem statement of the book, they're unlikely to sit there and read uh, 90 different poets talking about it. But for people who are really, you know, engaged and curious and worried about the problems in the world and how these are being dealt with through art. It's actually an incredible snapshot of the range and volume of, of great poetry doing many different things in this country. I think it gives some of the depths and complexities that we often don't have in kind of reporting about climate change as to how we should feel about it, how we should process it, uh, what we can do to live in this world and how we can galvanize ourselves to go forward and do more. I think part of its value is that it, it, it shows what's happening at this point in time where we are really still as a, as a planet at a turning point, there's a lot that we can, we can still do, right, to mitigate 
the effects of climate change and there are changes that need to be made outside of poetry to achieve this but there is that you know very very old saying that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world that maybe we hope still holds true that these poems can really move people to thinking about these things in a different way you know we have a lot of poems uh, specifically located on other pacific islands than new zealand as well i think it's so important to bear in mind you know the impacts that are being so profoundly felt in these other places that you know as a as a pacific country new zealand is still incredibly deeply connected to there's one poem that starts i already know the pain of losing my island um, mm. They say forgive and forget, but how can I forgive man for destroying land? And that message of the sanctity of land comes through in so many of the poems from so many of the places, Australia, Aotearoa, also as well as the Pacific Islands. Yes, and I think as well, we've got this wonderful sort of sequence from a farming poet called Janet Newman about observing on her farm in the Horofanua the changing seasons and the effects in particular of drought and it's really moving and so connected to the land I must confess some personal interest because I've also just put out a, a book of my own um, of poems about farming so it's, it's very much in my wheelhouse that one but the preciousness of the land and the connection to Papatuanuku um, and the land that you know sustains us all in the end is really crucial as a thread throughout this book Rebecca Hawkes. The other editors involved in the poetry collection No Other Place to Stand are Jordan Hamill, Eric Kennedy and Issa Ranapiri. It's published by Auckland University Press.